Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Woo! Good morning, everybody. Man, what a great way uh, to start our service today. Two baptisms, getting, being able to witness two people being uh, born to new life in Christ. And what a great uh, celebration. We actually had one person uh, in the first service as well. So guys, thank you for tuning in online, being able to witness that, and uh, love for you to continue to leave some comments. Make sure you uh, fill out that Connect card online. Welcome to you guys, and uh, welcome to all of you uh, that are here to see all your beautiful, smiling faces. How about that weather outside? Could not be any better today uh, here in Charleston. So I am Pastor Chris, for those of you that are new, and uh, welcome. So um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody tell you something or promise you something that you absolutely knew that there is no way that they could ever guarantee this this promise? I mean, this thing that they've said is going to happen, there's no way they could, they can't deliver. For example, what if I told you that Chris Jones, Okay, one of our pastors here on staff, you just saw him, you know, baptize these two ladies. We all know, love, and trust, and who happens to be the only Carolina Gamecock fan uh, on our pastoral staff, which just goes to show you that we love all people, even sinners here at Coastal. And, uh, but anyway, what if he, what if I told you that he said, that the South Carolina Gamecocks are definitely going to be the national champions in football this season, this year. How many of you would have a hard time believing that that could actually happen, right? Of course, yes. I mean, you would even think that that man is what? Crazy, right? Crazy. Well, that is exactly how it must have felt for Abraham. What a great segue, right? That's just wonderful. What a great segue. That, but that's how it must have felt for Abraham when God made a promise that sounded so impossible. You know, so impossible that, you know, there's no way he could begin to imagine how it could ever come true. And that is exactly where we are introduced to this next name uh, in our study on the different Hebrew names for God. Now, if you're around my age and uh, you grew up listening to, you know, not all, but you know, you listened to some Christian music growing up, again, kind of around my age, you probably are very familiar with the name that we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, it's the name El Shaddai because it was popularized in the early 80s with a song by Amy Grant. Anyone remember this song? Okay, just like, held your phones up. Here we go, right? Yeah, even though you didn't have a cell phone back then in the 80s, right? Anyway, okay, so now you're all ready, right? The, those of you that grew up listening to Christian music, you're ready to pull out your Michael W. Smith and your Carmen, your Sandy Patty and your Petra. And the rest of you have no idea who we're talking about, right? Google, Google them, you'll know. Um, but... What does this particular name mean that she was singing about so long ago? Well, God introduces himself as El Shaddai. El Shaddai, 48 times in the Old Testament. Now, the first time is found in Genesis chapter 17 with Abraham. But by far, the most predominant use of the name is found in the book of Job. And we're going to talk about both of those today. 
But the name itself, uh, it's, a, it's a compound name. Uh, the first part, El, it is the word for God, and it speaks of his uh, infinite power uh, and might, as in Elohim. Remember, we, we talked about that name uh, several weeks ago. But then Shaddai uh, is a little bit harder to nail down because the exact entomology of the word is not really known. Uh, the Hebrew word for shad refers to a nursing mother's breast. It's this beautiful, tender picture of a nursing relationship that a, a mom has with her newborn child that she nourishes and satisfies. But then the Hebrew root of that word, shadat, denotes the idea of absolute power and authority. The word die means to shed forth, to pour out, to heap benefits upon. Uh, and it suggests provision, uh, sustenance, blessing. And so you put all of that together. If you're taking notes, write this down. El Shaddai is our almighty, all-sufficient sustainer. Almighty, all-sufficient sustainer, the one who mightily nourishes, satisfies, protects, uh, supplies his people. In fact, in most of your English translations, it's, it's translated, they use the word almighty, almighty. In fact, the early church uh, made sure that this particular name was right out front, you know, in the, in the Apostles' Creed. Many of you are familiar with that. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, before we go any further, though, I think it's critically important that we understand that if we're going to experience God as our all-sufficient El Shaddai, we first have to realize our own insufficiency. We have to recognize our own insufficiency. In fact, using the analogy of a, the vine and its branches. Do you remember what Jesus said you know, in the Gospels in John 15, 5? He said, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? What does he say? You can do nothing. Wow, I love that. In fact, I think, you know, in many ways, if I had to sub up, you know, sum up the Christian life and I could only use one verse to do it, I'd be hard pressed to find, you know, a better uh, explanation there than, than Jesus gave us right there. I mean, what an important reminder that all of our Christian life, I mean, salvation, you know, the whole journey from beginning to end, start to finish, it's all God's grace. Because apart from Jesus, we literally can do nothing. Now that, that understanding right there, that's the key that's going to help unlock the meaning of this particular name today. You see, it's only when we are willing to admit our absolute helplessness, our utter insufficiency, our dependence on God, that we discover and come to know and truly experience God as our all-sufficient, almighty El Shaddai. So to get a clearer picture of that today, I want us to look at how God revealed himself to two people who did know a thing or two about insufficiency, about helplessness. 
because they were both at the end of their ropes, so to speak. I mean, they were in a desperate place. They were helpless, had nowhere else to turn. And it's my guess that that's exactly where some of you are at today. And that's why God brought you here. You know, here today in person, if you're watching this online, you're not here by mistake today. Maybe you feel like you're desperate right now, desperately at the end of your rope. Maybe that's in your marriage, a relationship, um, your finances, a career, your job, your family, and you kind of feel like you have nowhere else to turn. Well, it just so happens that that is exactly where and how God revealed himself to the two people that I want to talk about today. And I believe he wants to do the same thing here. He wants you to know him as El Shaddai. So first of all, number one, God showed up and revealed himself in the helplessness of Abraham and Sarah, the helplessness of, of this couple. Now, I know we've dug into uh, Abraham's life several times already in this series, so we're not gonna spend a long time on this story, but I do think it's important that we come back to it today because this is exactly where El Shaddai appears for the very first time, okay? Genesis chapter 17. So again, remember at this point, you know, God has made several big promises uh, to Abraham, promises about land, about his descendants, about blessing, but the biggest promise is about a son. And yet, he'd been waiting and waiting and waiting a long, long time, and it still hasn't happened. As a matter of fact, he'd been waiting for 24 years. Like, that's a long time. I mean, in fact, I want you to stop and just think for a moment how old you were, where you were at, what you were doing 24 years ago. Okay, everybody do the math right now. You might turn to your neighbor and kind of tell them. If you're watching online, maybe leave a comment. Hey, 24 years ago. You know, for some of you, 24 years ago, maybe you were in elementary school. Uh, some of you weren't even born. Some of you just retired. No, I'm just joking. I don't know, maybe so. Um, but that's a long time, isn't it? I mean, our church was portable. We set up and broke down for 14 years. I thought that was an eternity. 24 years is a long time. And that's how long Abraham had been waiting. I mean, what's going on here? You know, did God just take him on a ride? Is, is a, you know, can God be trusted? Now, I, I don't know if those are the exact thoughts that were going through his mind or not, but I can't help but wonder whether Abraham had all but given up. You know, given up any hope of ever having a son with his wife, Sarah. Sarah's now 89 years old. She's still barren. I mean, from a human perspective, a human point of view, there, there's no way. I mean, both Abraham and Sarah were beyond helpless at that point. I actually think they might have chosen another word. Uh, they would have opted for the word hopeless because that's exactly how it felt and I'm sure how it looked. Have you ever felt that way? Again, maybe that is exactly where you're at right now. Maybe today you feel like you're old and barren. You know, and I, and I don't mean from a, you know, a childbearing sense. I, I don't mean that at all. I mean from a just human, you know, circumstantial sense that, that hope seems lost, that, that you feel like you've exhausted all your resources, right? 
you have been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing has worked. You know, and you're, you're asking all those questions. You know, what now? Why me? Can you relate to that? Because that's exactly where Abraham was in Genesis 17. He was at the end of his rope. But it was at that point, don't miss this, it was at that point of helpless de desperation that he encountered the all-sufficient presence and power of El Shaddai. Look at verse one. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And then down in verse seven he says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now there's so much more here than just the fact that our God, he is faithful and he's faithful to keep his promises. Now, that is absolutely true, and our God is the same, the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever in that regard. But I just want you to catch today that this is bigger than that, okay? Because in revealing himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, and then specifically saying, I will be God to you and to your offspring after you, okay? You gotta get this. It's basically God committing himself to you, to us. I mean, think about this. God has bound himself to us. He has given us his word because in Christ, and that's the key, in Christ, this bond can never be broken. In fact, Paul explained it like this in 2 Corinthians. He said, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Here's the point. God is able to do far more than is humanly possible. Do you believe that? Now it's one thing for us to say yes or to agree with that here in this place, in this setting, in church because you know that's kind of like the church answer. But what about when you're facing an impossible situation that is stretching you to your breaking point. And like Abraham and Sarah, you've waited and waited and it seems helpless and hopeless. Do you believe it then? What do you do? Where do you turn? And so God is giving him and he's giving us the answer right here. He has bound himself to all of us as our all-sufficient Provider, protector, sustainer, for no matter how many promises God has made. What did the Bible say? They are yes in Christ. Man, is that good news or what? You know, when, uh, when Sarah laughed, thinking to herself, how in the world can an old, worn-out woman like me have a baby? What did God say? Look at Genesis 18, 14. 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Did she? You bet she did. At age 90, she's the only person in town who paid her OB with her social security check. I mean, this is an old woman. In fact, today, I want you to underline that verse. I want you to circle it. I want you to burn it into your, your heart and your mind. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What is the answer? No, nothing. And so I want to kind of press into you a little bit today. How might the Holy Spirit of God be speaking into your heart today? Where might he be calling you to a greater step of faith? A, a, you know, a, a little bit more dependence on him. Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a family member or a friend that you have been praying for and asking God to draw them to himself. You see, whatever the problem, whatever the challenge, whatever the need, he is El Shaddai, bring it to him. So God shows up and reveals himself in the, the helplessness, the hopelessness of Abraham and Sarah. But number two, he also reveals himself in the brokenness of Job. I mean, the utter brokenness. Of, of all 48 occurrences of El Shaddai in the Old Testament, 31 of them, are found in the book of Job. I mean, does anybody else think that that's significant? Man, it absolutely is. If, in other words, if you really want to get to know and understand and meet El Shaddai, the Almighty One, the Sustainer, the Provider, the Protector, you got to spend some time with this this guy Job. So we're going to do that just for a little bit this morning. Let's begin in Job chapter one, beginning in verse one. There was one. There was once a man. Uh, named Job, who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. And verses two and three go on to tell us that he had seven sons, three daughters, owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 team of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the Bible says, the richest person in that area. Now, if you keep reading, down in verse 5, we're told that Job's regular custom was even to meet with God early in the morning, to pray on behalf of the hearts of his children. And uh, so, in other words, Job is a good dad. He's a good man. He's successful, upright, godly. I mean, he's got everything going for him. He's faithful. But then we discover that Satan receives permission from God to test this man to see, would he still be faithful if he lost everything? And so we see all that unfold in a series of very devastating events. Uh, all of his livestock are stolen, servants are killed, lightning strikes all the sheep and shepherds, camels are stolen, and then most tragically of all, all of his kids are killed. And then after suffering all of that, even his health is taken from him, and then he had to listen to um, the accusations of his so-called friends who are acting more like enemies. Ever had friends like that? So literally overnight, he loses everything. The bottom falls out. Now, after all that, what do you think Job did? 
Verses 20 through 22. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. You think so? Unimaginable great grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to what? What's it say? Worship. And I know you've heard these words before. This is where it comes from. Listen to this. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Wow. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Can you imagine? In chapter 2, God allows Satan to afflict him with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Even his wife uh, piles on him and uh, sarcastically says something like, hey, are you still holding on to your precious integrity? Why don't you just go ahead and curse God and die? And again, Job's response is mind-boggling. Job 2.10, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Man, I'll be honest with you, that blows my mind. But I think it speaks directly to the significance of why this name, El Shaddai, is used more often in the book of Job than any other book. Because if you've ever read through Job, talked about it, studied about it, heard about it, you know that Job raises all the tough questions of why? Why me? Why now? You know, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever ask that? You know, when, when, the, when the bottom drops out, where is God? You know, when dreams are shattered, why, why doesn't God intervene? When nightmares become reality, why doesn't God say or do something? So Job is pushed to the limit. And he asks those questions and more. But I, I think the, the most notable thing about the book of Job to me is the absence of really any explanations. I mean, you wade through 37 chapters, and then finally, beginning in chapter 38, God speaks, and you, you think, okay, wow, at long last, we're going to get an explanation about why all this happened, why the pain, why the suffering, why now? But God basically answers with, I am Almighty God. I'm El Shaddai. I know more than you. I'm in charge, and you're not. And that's the message of Job. It just took him 42 chapters to get it. And there, there's a lot of, you know, reasons why I think, you know, if we have a longer time, maybe we're in a, in a study, or we could preach about this, and we've preached through Job before. You know, there are a lot of reasons why I think maybe God doesn't answer those questions. But I, I just want to mention two today. Maybe it's because we're incapable of understanding the answer. I mean, if God gave us the answers to all of the, the reasons why, for all the suffering, for all the pain, I think it would probably involve, you know, so many centuries, hundreds and thousands of years, and so many people and so many complexities that our finite minds couldn't grasp it. And so many times I think he says, trust me, 
I'm God. Wait until the end. I will explain it. And maybe another reason he doesn't give us the answer is it would ruin the test. It'd ruin the test if we knew the answer. You know, a test is really not that helpful if you, if you know all the answers in advance, right? Now, in school, we liked it that way, right? Didn't you love it when the teacher would, like, teach to the test a little bit, and she would even tell you everything in advance that's going to be on the test, exactly the way it was? And the truth is, though, we don't learn as much that way because we simply memorize the answers for the test. Well, what if God said, I'm going to allow this pain to come into your life. I'm going to allow this loved one to get very, very ill. But don't worry, on such and such a date, it all makes sense. They'll get well. They will be healed. It'll all come together on this date. I'm allowing this into your life this, so that it will intensify your prayer life. Now, that sounds great, but it would eliminate the uncertainty that really motivates prayer and the relationship with God in the first place and test our faith. As much as we don't like it, we, we grow and we learn through God's tests because we don't know how the story ends. And I think the book of Job teaches us not to expect simple answers. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I hate simple answers. I hate when people, you know, especially pastors, preachers, give these two-cent trite answers for million-dollar questions. I think sometimes it's okay for us to say, we don't know. I don't understand either. The book of Job teaches us that. That maybe God gives us enough information to trust him, but not so much that we don't need faith. We might not get an answer until eternity. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul for just a moment. You know, it's the Apostle Paul. You know, he writes most of the New Testament, and he praise to God to remove some sort of, you know, problem, some sort of physical suffering that he was enduring, and God's answer, you know what it was? No. My grace is sufficient for you. And God never told him why. He just said, trust me. God provides answers in his time. And we need to be willing to wait, even if until eternity, if necessary. And then finally, you come to the final chapter in Job, Job 42. Listen to this. So again, after God's very frank and blunt explanation, three chapters worth, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things too wonderful, far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I love what comes next. Job says, I'd only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. My guess is some of you have felt that way before. You'd only heard about God before that pain unspeakable, that suffering. 
that difficulty, that, that hardship. But now you've experienced him. You've experienced El Shaddai with your own eyes. Job says, I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. You see, Job wanted answers and God gives himself. El Shaddai. A personal God who is all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-encompassing, the one true God who sees it all, understands it all, controls it all, and who always does what's best for us. And listen to this. This is what I want you to hear today. And I know this is difficult, but, but just hear this. If we let him, if we'll trust him, he even has this miraculous ability to use all of it, everything that comes into our life, even the most difficult hardship and pain and suffering, and he has the ability, the miraculous ability to use it for our good and our growth and his glory. But that's a journey, a journey of trust. But have you ever noticed that the closer we get to God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness compared to him. You know, something always happens, and you see this a lot in scripture, when, when God reveals himself to man and we come to terms with who we really are compared to God. Remember, Adam hid, uh, Abraham fell prostrate on the ground, Moses, the Bible says, covered his face, Isaiah, it says, repented of his unclean lips. Remember, Paul, who was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, he fell to the ground. And it says here in Job that Job repented. But what did he repent of? I mean, remember it said earlier that he was blameless and upright, so he doesn't repent of the way he raised his children, the way he made his money. So what then? What did he repent of? I think he might have repented of his attitude. I think maybe he repented of his unlimited understanding of who God is. Maybe he repented of his many complaints against God. You know, the word complain is, is found more times in the book of Job than any other. Nearly one half of all the complaints in Scripture come from the lips of Job. But here's one more lesson that I think he learned as God revealed himself as El Shaddai, and it's this. God will make all things right in the end. Keep trusting him. God will make all things right in the end. Keep trusting him. Look at verse 10 of chapter 42. And again, this is, after, this is after he repented. This is after he had a, a better understanding of who God is and who he is and compared to God and, and just fell to his knees in repentance. When Job prayed for his friends, those friends who had been like enemies, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Verse 12, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. I think Job finally learned the lesson that life may be hard, but God is still good. And he has the ability to make things right. And sometimes we might have to wait until eternity before God settles the score. Sometimes he might bless us in this life 
as well as in eternity. In fact, Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. In the end, God will bless some way, somehow, if we are faithful to him. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested. As fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God promises, and I don't care how many promises he has made, they are yes. They are yes in Christ. God promises a new body. God promises a life without pain. But not now. Now he promises the opposite. Jesus actually tells us that in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he does promise his presence in the midst of the pain. In the meantime, we act, we've got to walk by faith. I'm going to get my new body, just not yet. I'm going to get that mansion one day, but not now. You know, Satan's most vicious attack wasn't against Job. It was against Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He, of anyone, didn't deserve any pain or suffering at all. And yet, Satan's agents ridiculed him, lied about him, brutalized him, and crucified him. But Almighty God, El Shaddai, he took that cross, the instrument that Satan had intended for evil, and he used it. And he used it as a means of, of salvation, of hope, of forgiveness, hope for all of mankind. Because three days after Jesus was put in that grave, three days after he was beaten and crucified, El Shaddai raised him from the dead. Almighty came down to that tomb and said, Jesus, it's time to get up because we have won. We have won. El Shaddai has the victory. What Satan meant for evil, God used for his greatest triumph. Don't you see? The ultimate answer to the questions about God's goodness and love in the midst of your suffering and your pain, it comes in and through Jesus. You know, where is God when suffering and pain is unimaginable and it all seems lost? The gospel tells us God is there in Christ. And since God was there in the suffering of Jesus, he's right there with you and yours. 
Because God is good, because he is else should die, if we place our trust in him, he'll forgive us and save us and use what we th- might think is our greatest tragedy and our deepest pain, and he could use it for our good, for our growth, and for his glory. If, and this is a big if, if you trust him, if you put your faith in Christ, and if you do that, you can be guaranteed blessing forever, that the rest of your life will be the best. Come home to him today. He's revealed himself to you today. Will you respond? Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you today for revealing yourself to us personally as El Shaddai, that in the midst of waiting and waiting and waiting, in the midst of great pain, suffering, feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and brokenness, that you are our sustainer. You are the almighty one, the provider, the protector. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And listen, if you are here today and you are ready to come home, you are ready to experience forgiveness. You are ready to experience new life found in Christ by placing your trust in him and him alone. You can do it right now, right now. Just in your own heart and mind, pour your heart out to God and just just pray, dear Heavenly Father, I admit it, I, I have blown it. I I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And as you have revealed yourself to me, I I come to greater terms with my own sinfulness and my own insufficiency. So I, I come to you today in great need, God. But I recognize that all of my needs are found and answered in Christ. And today I believe. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and in him alone. I believe he went to that cross for me. I believe you raised him from the dead and he is alive. And now, God, for the rest of my life, I simply want to follow him. I want to become more and more like you now see me, your forever forgiven child. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.